Miriam loves her children, but after months of caring for her newborns, she feels they're literally sucking the life out of her. She's ready to get back to her craft as a lawyer. Fortunately, her family finds and hires the perfect nanny, a woman who is in many ways a child, but utterly devoted to her duty and the children. She goes above and beyond consistently, but at what point is beyond too far? As the family realizes they cannot function without the nanny, love turns to jealousy and devotion becomes an obsession. The Nanny, Louise, the book, The Perfect Nanny by Layla Slimani. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get This is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Let's mm-hmm. now go to Society Says. Mm-hmm. And Society Says, readers, is the portion of our show where we share your comments with the rest of our Lit Society. Alexis, is there a comment out there from one of our listeners that you thought particularly lit? This comment is from an author. Oh, wow. Okay. D- Donnie Walton. Oh, and if Donnie. You remember, mm-hmm. What book did we cover for her, Kari? Yeah, the Opal final revival Nev. of Opal and Nev. Yeah. Um, she said, thank you so much, Alexis and Kari. Love this conversation, especially the part where you talk about Pearl and her contentment relative to others. I'd never considered that, but it's absolutely true. And she gives us a a laughing emoji (laughs) as well as a heart. So we thank you, Donnie Walton, for um, commenting on our page. Yeah, Donnie also sat down with us for a one-on-one interview. So that was much appreciated. All right, I remember that. thank you. And how about you, Kari? Is there a comment that you found that was lit and wanted to share? Yeah. So for you know, honestly, if I could say all our comments are lit, whenever (laughs) you put the effort into writing a comment, that's lit, litty, baby. (laughs) But this one, which which lit comment did you want to share? I'll say that. For some weeks now, possibly months, we've been getting comments on Spotify, uh, which is a relatively new feature. And this one comes from that platform. It's from Faseo Adetunji. And I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. This is uh, for our Lessons in Chemistry episode. And she says, nice discussion. I wasn't so keen on this story either and had trouble connecting to the characters. So thank you for commiserating with us and um, listening to that episode. We know that book is very well loved. So it's nice to get different opinions about works that are just very prolific um, because sometimes we're very confused as to why a book is so popular. <laughs> so sometimes it's nice. we are. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. nice to know a few of you readers feel the same. Well, you guys, if you want to be featured on Society Says, leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram, wherever you find us. You can go ahead and leave a comment on Facebook. We might not ever see it, but, you know, we appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) And we might even share your comment on the show. Well, let's take a quick break and get into uh, the inspiration from our author context around the book. Uh, How does that sound, Alexis? Sounds good to me. All right, let's do it.
inspiration for The Perfect Nanny? Sure, sure. So our author is a writer and journalist, and she is she has French heritage, and she was born in Morocco. She um, was appointed by French President Macron to serve as his personal representative representative to the international organization of. La Francophonie, which is an organization that represents uh, countries and regions where French is spoken. Now, her author background is that she actually submitted a novel to publishers and it was rejected. I guess that's not that unusual, is it? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, well, she did that. And after this rejection, she goes on to take a writing workshop that improved her writing style. And then in 2014, she then published her first novel. And the English language title for that is Adele. And it found a lot of French success and it um, won the it won an, uh, a Moroccan literary award. So the book that we're covering today, The Perfect Nanny, or known in the UK as The Lullaby, was published in August in 20. 20- August 2016 and it's Layla's second novel and it was translated into English and actually was the first book of hers to be translated in English. It won a prestigious French literary award and has been translated into 18 language with 17 more to come. The book was adapted into a French film in 2019 and as of January 2023 is being adapted into a limited TV series. Oh, wow. Okay. So a little context. The Perfect Nanny is based on the 2012 murder of the Krim children by their part-time caretaker. And the name of the nanny in our book is from another true story where Louise Woodward um an au pair was convicted of killing mm. uh, the eight month old child that she cared for. Mm. So that's our author. And why don't we just jump into our skip the brief synopsis and jump into that question. Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Yeah, I think if you're a lover of The Housemaid by Frieda McFadden, uh, this may intrigue you. This is about a third party that infiltrates a household, is hired by a household, learns their secrets and becomes very it all becomes very uncomfortable for everyone. Uh, and then there's, of course, a climax at the end. So it follows those same plot beats. If you're into that, it's also a slow way of storytelling. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, last week you were talking about a novel where, a, where we enter the mind of a dog. And I said Anna Karenina because we, we are in the mind of a dog for the hunting period. But I think you were talking about um, lessons in chemistry. <laughs> yes, yeah, right? yes. There's a whole dog. Um. No, the dog is the main <laughs> character. He's talking like... <laughs> practically narrate the story if exactly you will. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so <laughs> just tangential but uh for this book for the perfect nanny i think if you're into the housemate you may love this book and the housemate also House is a newish novel uh that's been on top of a lot of thriller lists uh we may cover it on this show i don't know i don't know i think i it's saw hard to that find a good thriller lately <laughs> i think i saw that um come up so like it might be floating on my to be read list yeah i read it and i think there's a sequel out already um, oh wow so. you know how that goes and alexis what made you choose the nanny the perfect nanny by Leila slimani 
Okay, so I literally was just scrolling through Libby for my next book and this popped up and it sounded intriguing. Um, And the cover, I was like, hmm, what is this about? And so I just dived in. And plus it was six hours. You know, I like a shorter book. So it's a very concise novel for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Well, thank you for that. That's a great reason. So now let's dive into a spoiler filled deep dive of The Perfect Nanny by Layla Slimani. Content warning. We are going to talk about abuse and K-wording kids. Alexis, you have the floor. All right. So the baby is dead. And the little girl is fighting for her life. The crime scene is horrific. The paramedic said the mother was in a state of shock. The police found her squatting in her bedroom, her clothes soiled from vomiting, and she was shuddering like a mad woman. She screamed her lungs out, they said, and they had to tranquilize her. The other one was found with slit wrists and cuts to her throat. As the neighbors gathered around outside, the rumor was spreading that something terrible happened to the children. And this happened to be a day when mom came home early. She wanted to surprise her children, take them, take them to the fairgrounds, shop for dinner with them. And she even stopped off at the bakery to pick up the favorite treats of her youngest, her, her little boy, her little girl, and the nanny. The search begins. Paul and Miriam Massey live in the smallest apartment in their building on the fifth floor in Paris's 10th Eredesement, a friendly neighborhood. They only have these two children. Miriam, um, was in her last year of law school when she became pregnant with her eldest child, Mila. And Mila was 18 months old when Miriam became pregnant with her second child, which was really premeditated, although she tries to play it off to everyone (laughs) else that it was a surprise. Ever since her children was born, were born, Miriam had been scared of everything. And she would even like have visions or thoughts that her children would die. I've um, heard and this something, from um, new moms. Yeah. This is pretty common. Yeah. And um, it's thoughts that she never told her husband. Now, Miriam loves her children. She knows everything about her children. She and she loves the knowledge that she's learned about her children. It's like something private just for her. (laughs) Um, Miriam enjoyed motherhood and she wanted to stay home with her children until she didn't. Miriam had gotten to the point um, during this home time with the children where she was so frustrated or about just doing the mundane things of parenthood, I guess. And she would begin going to the store and stealing. Now, first it was accidental, but then she's just found some joy in it. So she kept doing it. She'd and slip things into the baby's like stroller. 
And yeah. I mean, this is a brilliant woman who is spending her every waking moment with kids and they are literally hanging on her body, sucking life out of her. It's a little much. It's a little much. It was by, cute. It was cute when the first baby was born. Now you got two of them. <laughs> Y'all she talk about that nothing second interesting. It's Bluey all day. Bluey is very interesting. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she wanted. That is the life she wanted. Like, I said she, so she didn't like you said and that's her right was premeditated yep <laughs> so anyway um, she really become, feels overburdened with caring for her children day in and day out she's jealous of her husband being able to go off to work and have these adult conversations and it's really starting to get to her she's embarrassed when people ask her what she does for work and her answer is she's a stay at home mom and then to everything became harder. The bills started to pile up. Um, Miriam was gloomy um, that she was even taking the children to the park. Uh, winter became hard being at home with the children. And her daughter Mila's tantrums were driving her mad. Mm-hmm. But when Miriam ran into an old colleague while she was at the playground um, with her children, the next day, the colleague called her and offered Miriam a job and Miriam jumped at the opportunity to her husband's dismay. I liked how this played out, though, because in another book, this is when an affair would have started and it would have completely tore apart their family. Um, But instead, this man is talking to her about their old college days and about the work they used to do. And he barely noticed the kids. (laughs) And when he gets home and calls her about the job, she realizes, well, it's huge for her. This is like a big break for her, but it's probably a big break for him too. Like he found someone was that was at the top of their class at a point in their life where they just want to work. So yeah. he's probably getting a good price on her too. <laughs> yeah. So um, Paul's response, her husband, I don't know if I mentioned her husband. I did briefly. Paul, his response is that her behavior is thoughtless. Um, but once they kind of fought through it and talked through it and came to a common ground, they agreed they would get a nanny. Now, her husband, Paul, worked in the music industry. I believe he was a producer and he did various things with that. And his his work and career continued to develop to the point where he actually became a music artist himself. Mm-hmm. So Paul has this list of requirements for the nanny. They don't want one that's an illegal immigrant. And that's because they don't want anybody that's afraid to take their children to the hospital in case of an emergency. They don't want any smokers and no veils. And they want her, the nanny to be energetic and available. Uh, Miriam had actually talked to a friend of hers and they suggested not hiring somebody with children because they could never stay late. Well, the thing that was uh, that offended Miriam also was that they said, if you hire someone with children, their children should live out the country so that they never have to put the needs of their children above your children. You <laughs> Yikes. Right. Now it's like, what, what are you looking for? Are you looking for help around the house? Or are you looking for a mom replacement? <laughs> but this is the facts. Like, mm hmm. Well, and Miriam um, and her husband, Paul, are in this wealthy arrondissement, but they are not necessarily wealthy. They're still on the the upward climb in their careers. So instead of hiring someone that lives with them full time, like a lot of people around them, they can only afford a day nanny. 
So there's probably a little bit of shame with that, too, it seems. Mm-hmm. So uh, the day that uh, nannies are to be interviewed, the couple are anxious and they've never actually entrusted anyone to care for their children before. Not even like when they go out as a couple. They were the couple, the parents <laughs> that took their children everywhere they went, even to, to the, the bars. bars. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be breastfeeding at the bar and people, her friends would be like, Lord, no. So they wanted to present themselves to um, the nannies as good, serious, orderly people, and they would be in charge and they give their children the best. So after several interviews, they meet Louise. Um, It was kind of love at first sight. And it's it's as if Mila, the eldest child, actually chose her. Mila had just awoken from a nap by her brother's screams and Paul went to get Adam. That's the boy. And he returned with Mila following close behind. Louise took Adam from Paul's arms and pretended not to notice Mila. Um, They play. She kind of played a little game with Mila to make her laugh. And as they um, continue the interview, they learn that Louise's husband is dead and she has a 20 year old daughter named Stephanie. She tells them that she is always available. That's exactly what they want to hear, right? Uh, Louise appears warm, forgiving, even imperturbable. Um, Her face looks so peaceful and she gives them her references and they call the top one and that one raves about Louise's services. The reference even tells them that She wanted to have another baby just to keep her on. (laughs) So Louise is hitting all the high marks. Louise is a a woman over 40. And although she's not necessarily told, we're not necessarily told this, we deduce that she is a white French woman of low means. Um, She's slender, fragile looking. And from a distance, she might appear to be a preteen. When she wears her makeup, um, this blue eyeshadow, she looks older. Um, She lives in a one bedroom apartment uh, with a sofa bed and she eats her meals at her coffee table. She takes the train to work. And on her first day, she's so eager to get out of her home. She arrives at the um, Massé home an hour early, but she ends up uh, waiting in the corridor, sitting on a step. And while she's waiting, Paul actually sees her as he's coming down the stairs with his bike and helmet. And he asks her how long she's been there. Why didn't you come in? And Louise says she didn't want to disturb him. And he tells her she wouldn't. Um, and he gives her the keys to the home and tells her to make herself at home. Now, Kari, what are some of Louise's accomplishments, excuse me, accomplishments as she makes herself nanny to the Massey family? Her accomplishments? Yeah. What is she doing for them? Why are they calling her a miracle worker? Well, she's doing more than she's paid to do. So she's in there washing the sheets once a week, cleaning the house top to bottom, um, educating, feeding and playing with the children. Uh, she's great at her job. She yeah. goes above and beyond. They have yeah. inherited with her both a nanny and a housekeeper. Yeah. 
She makes herself indispensable. Um, after the parents get home, well, I'll say after Miriam gets home for work, dinner is already ready. The children are clean. There's nothing accumulating. Like, um, like Kari said, she's more than a nanny. She's a housekeeper too. Mm-hmm. Um, Louise even teaches Mila how to clean up after herself. Louise is a perfectionist and it shows in her day-to-day work. Um, She writes everything down, appointments, outings, medicines, things she paid for. Um, The exact words the teacher says about Mila and so much. They lifted such a burden off of the family, the um, parents that they start having friends over for dinner again. And Miriam's not cooking the meals. Louise is cooking the meals. <laughs> they don't have to fight the children to eat the meals that um, Louise is preparing. They ready to eat them. Um, Mir- Miriam actually doesn't cook and doesn't care to learn how to cook. <laughs> and their friends are always showering them with compliments about their nanny. And Miriam is proudly says, my nanny did it all. Yeah, that says something. She's not trying to take the credit for herself. She's very proud that she hired this person who is more Mm -hmm. than competent. Yeah. The weeks following her arrival, Adam learns to walk. He now sleeps peacefully every night. Mila, however, is a difficult and exhausting child. And when she's irritated, she screams. She is a pure cut up, like one of those really (laughs) annoying children that wear their parents out. You've seen them on the street. You've seen them (laughs) in the grocery store. That is Mila. Mila is also cunning. And she makes um, she try. She notices when Louise feels ashamed and notices people staring at her. Uh, Mila However, sometimes we'll regret her behavior and and starts to worry about Louise. And so then she'll turn all loving. So really, she is a cunning little child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Louise learns to tame the child with creative stories. Now, when Miriam returns to work, she is this hardworking um, criminal defense attorney and she advances quickly. She's given responsibilities. Her other colleagues who have been there longer haven't received. And Pascal is always saying how perfect she is. She is being recommended and referred. Um, and her husband actually tells her she's working too hard. And she actually bothered by him saying this. <laughs> he tells her that he's concerned for her health and that Pascal is taking advantage of her. And meanwhile, Miriam has her own guilt because she's not there with her children. She also has her mother-in-law that's saying, if your child is sick all the time, it's because she's lonely. And that's your fault. Because kids don't get sick all the time. Um <laughs> There are a few characters in this book that are superfluous, to say the least, Mm. but they fill you with such emotion. Uh, The reader may have a reaction to them uh, that uh, you want them to be more than they are. And to me, the mother-in-law is an example of this. Uh, Her existence shows the holes in their marriage Mm. as Paul never defends his wife to his mother. Mm -hmm. 
And the mother is just uh, very, feels very justified in the things she says and does in Miriam. Like in one scene, she leaves Miriam in tears. Oh, she, yeah. she don't like her. No. <laughs> but no. that's the, her it, daughter-in-law and the yeah. mother of her grandchildren. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Paul is offended by how Miriam responds to his reaction. Um, she's <laughs> even got teachers scolding her for not. Um, being at the school and taking time Oh my time goodness, out. yes, that was yeah. inappropriate. So mm-hmm. everyone in her life is like, mom should stay home. And yeah. any bad thing that happens to the kid is your fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's a cold, it might just be a common cold. That's your fault for not staying at home with your children. You're selfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how can she not expect or feel as if everybody is against her in that mm-hmm. kind of situation, right? And then her colleagues don't even invite her out for after work drinks. And they surprise when she work like they're like, don't you got children? Why are you still here? I mean, anyway. I wouldn't invite her out either. I would think she would be <laughs> rushing together now, with her kids. Now, why wouldn't you invite her out? Because <laughs> she, got, she kids. got kids. <laughs> so you can't invite folks with kids out to play. Yeah. Yes. And I will give you a week's notice. That's fine. Give me notice. Why? But why yeah. got to be excluded? Fine. I'm not going to just be like, hey, we're going to grab some, you know, chicken tenders. You want to come? No, go home to your kids. <gasps> See, now, why are you all in my business like that? <laughs> you all in my business making decisions about I do feel that how way. I live that's my... Sure. Yeah, Look. that's, you know, that's a little in my business, judgy kind of thing. I don't like it. I ain't saying I'm right. That's just how I feel. Anyway, <laughs> about <laughs> six months Pascal takes um, Miriam out for a celebration um, and they're having such a good time that Miriam doesn't even want to go home. And at this point, Kari, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think something was going to happen? To me, it is already too intimate. Like, it's just them. It's a whole office full of people, but just them two going out. But they they don't invite her out. Okay. And so they're <laughs> sharing Rose, just her and this old classmate that hired her in and a old quiet stories. corner of the bar. And this is stories. one of those things in this book that don't go to the inevitable. It just stops being a thing. It, it happens. Does. You feel something about it as the reader, but don't invest too much in it because it'll never be brought up again and there will be no consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. only are there no consequences, but they nothing happens. Mm-mm. It's literally just drinks and laughter. And Miriam has some feelings about her situation with her husband. And all this is inappropriate. It's one thing to get um, have a networking or a um, brainstorming meeting with your boss in the middle of the day or even during happy hour. It's quite another to grab a cozy corner in the back of a bar in the, e- in the evening and share a glass of rosé while y'all reminisce on the old times. And you confide in him how you're unhappy at home. That's I don't com- think she does that. I think that's in her mind. I don't think that's happening. Oh, OK, I don't like it. <laughs> you, yeah. As a um, yes, I get it. I get why mm-hmm. you don't like it, but I don't think she shares all that. This is all a conversation in her mind. So anyway, should we talk about the birthday party? For what? Okay. Why That's should we funny. talk about anything in this book? <laughs> Stop it. Wait, wait. We got to get through it. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> one day Miriam comes home exhausted, but she wants mm-hmm. to spend time with her children. And when she arrives, they're in the tub. And when they finish in the tub, they run to Miriam and Miriam tells Louise she can go home. Right. And Louise like ignores her and goes <laughs> on cleaning up, folding towels, making beds. 
Absolutely. Okay, so Miriam tells her again, go on, I'll do those things. And Louise um, dismisses her dismissal. She's like, no, no, no. I'll continue cleaning. You relax. And I'll be invisible. Mm -hmm. So Miriam gradually allows uh, Louise to do all the things. I mean, like all the things. Continue to do all the things. And Louise starts to arrive earlier and earlier and leave later and later. And Louise encourages them, like, go be a couple. Go out. And Miriam, like, respects this woman. So she takes her advice. Mm -hmm. And soon Louise is sleeping over a couple times a week. And um, she's making her... Louise is making a space for herself in their apartment. And Paul starts to be concerned about all these long hours that Louise is working. And he's worried that they'll accuse, she'll accuse them of exploiting her. But Miriam promises to take control. But Miriam also loves all the things that Louise mm -hmm. is doing. And so it's really hard to have that conversation with her and Louise constantly tells her look that's what I'm here for don't worry about it so that just kind of flies by and and Louise continues to do the things that she wants to do Miriam um, starts buying Louise presents she gives her sweet treats like she knows her favorite bakery so she'll give her that and when she gives treats to the children and she gives Louise her old clothes Miriam like goes out of the way to try to avoid embarrassing um, Louise or, or wounding her in some way and when she goes shopping she even hides when Miriam goes shopping, she hides new clothes that she purchases for herself in old bags so she can open them when Louise is gone. And Paul, the husband, like, <laughs> you are so tactful. Mm. One evening, Paul insists that Louise stay for a dinner um, party that they're having because they are celebrating work accomplished on Paul's behalf as well as Miriam's behalf. And part of their eating dinner and I think Louise is in the kitchen at this point and Paul begins to drunkenly speak about Louise as if she's a child or old people. And he tells his friends <laughs> no, that he's not speaking about her like she's a child or old people. He's speaking about her like she's not there like you would a child or an old person. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, he tells his friends that he's uh, going to take her on vacation. Now she's here and she's listening. No, he don't just tell friends. He stands up and he goes, in a few weeks, we're all going on vacation, including the babysitter. He is, he's annoying. He's, he's drunk. You see where the baby get it from, the little girl. <laughs> He had two glasses of rosé and he is three sheets to the wind. Three Don't know what sheets. that means. Listen to last week's episode. <laughs> and he's acting with a lot of bravado and saying very grandiose things and just talking too much. Talking too much. Flapping them jowls. Mm -hmm. Louise overhears this and she's like, yes, I'm getting in there. She's like excited <laughs> for this. Well, she'd like a vacation. Like, has she had one ever? I don't think that's the point. That means oh. she's part of the family. When you take them on vacation, they mm -hmm. want and they um, they want you there all the time. So that's like really a big deal. 
Miriam, she's yeah, she's made her place, and um, mm-hmm. Miriam is excited to be taking a real vacation. So usually, um, Miriam would, would like be mad about his drunken bouts and when he say stuff that that don't be true, where he be lying. But this Not time, his drunken bouts. <laughs> Hey, that's what she had said. She said, I'm sick of him. But anyway, this time she was like, you know what? I love that idea. That's great. Um, and Louise joins them on their vacation to Greece. And in Greece, Paul and Miriam share a room and Louise shares a room with the children. At the beach, Mila um, pleads with Louise to take her into the water. But Louise pushes her way, telling that girl if she don't leave her alone. When Louise pushes the little girl she falls backward and so Miriam rushes to her um, side and tries to console the weeping child and Paul sees this he is like hot like fire Um, and they both look at Louise in disappointment and she reveals that she cannot swim and so Mila what does Mila do Kari do you remember is like a baby she can't even swim so she breaks <laughs> herself from her tears to do this yeah. that child yeah she had um when louise pushed her she fell back on the soft uh buttery soft <laughs> uh, sand and cried ah. instantly like louise is violent ah and the parents was like louise how dare you and louise is like i can't swim and the baby's like ah you can't what <laughs> everybody can swim you dummy <laughs> And Paul is like embarrassed by Mila's behavior. And guess who he blames? Louise. For being poor, spoiling (laughs) and spoiling their day. She shouldn't have been poor. She wasn't poor. She would know how to swim. How dare she bring this poverty to our uh, upper mobile middle class lifestyle? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Paul decides um, he's going to teach Louise how to swim. And then as he's teaching her how to swim, he starts to see her like a whole person a, a woman in fact she Not got really. the womanly things and so <laughs> he does and that's a, so. just the so. idea that he sees her doesn't mean he's attracted to her he just acknowledges that oh she's a person <laughs> Paul is elitist and problematic okay <laughs> That's really what this scene is telling us. Because he's helping her float. He puts a hand under her neck and then under her bottom. And he's like, she has a bottom. (laughs) She's human. (laughs) That's so funny. Acknowledgement of a person. Okay. That's the very thing that happened. It does not erase the fact that he's a terrible person. It doesn't make him uh, better because he acknowledges that. That in itself makes it seem the biggest problem. But this is a great place to take a break and count the number of likable characters in this book. <laughs> Louise. No. Paul. It's negative. The two children. Ooh, hard pass. Now, why Miriam? is Louise? She makes terrible decisions. <laughs> why is Louise unlikable at this point? Why is she unlikable? Yeah. Well, you know what? She, Can you do me a favor and run that list again and I won't interrupt? <laughs> you didn't interrupt. Uh, Paul. Is he likable? Eh. What about the babies? The innocent babies. Are either of them likable? Uh, uh. Okay. The mother-in-law. Uh. Louise. The, uh. Miriam. The, uh. Nah. Throw, throw, the whole, throw the whole universe away. Curry, why though? Why are at least Louise, the, even the Louise baby. Is, 
Louise is bathing in bathos. She wants you to know she is pitiful to the point where now I'm laughing. Now I'm laughing at you. I can't swim either. Okay. <laughs> Why are you so pathetic? <laughs> Everything bad in the world has happened to you and only you and you are just sad. <laughs> and you want to go ahead and sneak your way into this family for why? You don't, For why? That's never even clear. Why are you trying to become indispensable to this family? Because you want job security? They not paying you really. <laughs> it's like not for know. all she does. Certainly not. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And why can't Adam no. be like, oh, it's just a baby. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she's not eighty, right? She's no. might be forty three. Might be. Mm-hmm. And she wearing be. blue eyeshadow. Next, throw her away. Jail. <laughs> Immediate jail. <laughs> Wait, wh- why is blue Blonde hair and blue that? eyeshadow in twenty something? No. <laughs> No, absolutely not. The Barbie movie hadn't even came out. Listen, what you doing? One of the evenings, they decide to get a babysitter for the children to have dinner with Louise. And she's like, they're going to talk to her and tell her like, we really like you, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know if that stuff happens. Um, They be so engaged with each other that they end up leaving um, and to do married people stuff. And Louise listens. So weird. So now let's jump, jump back. Uh, well, jump current. So we were back um, in the day as things progressed along in their relationship with the nanny. We're going to pick out a small spot and talk about after the murder of the children and a trial that's happening. So the book has this section where it talks it. Um, it has us talking with um, Rose Grinberg, and she's a neighbor. And she says it's like she's being interviewed in the court of law. Okay, she's up testifying, and she says that she saw Louise that fateful day, and she was not her normal self. Louise is usually smiling and friendly and that um, the day she saw her, she stood motionless as Adam sat on the steps screaming loudly and Mila was jumping and knocking into her brother and Louise did not move. In fact, her lower lip trembled and her eyes were lowered and hands joined. Miss Grimberg even says, um, It was as if Louise didn't even hear the children. And so when the elevator bell rung, Miss Grinberg didn't even want to get on the elevator with Louise and the children. But Louise held the door open. And the question was asked if Louise was maybe drunk or something. And Miss Mrs. Grinberg says no. And of course, they attack Mrs. Grimberg because she's um, losing her sight or whatever. She's a music teacher and they're like, she don't really know. But also during the trial, Miriam is painted as an absent mother, an abusive employer. And Miriam is painted as being blindsided um, by ambition. She's selfish and indifferent to Louise's concern, which pushes uh, Louise to the limit. 
Miss Gr- Mrs. Grimberg tells the court that it's after she rose from her nap that she heard the scream um, that people can go their whole lives without hearing. It's the scream of war. And she also tells them this tidbit that Louise, a month before the tragedy, told her of her money problems. She had a landlord complaint and she asked Mrs. Grimberg for work. But Mrs. Grimberg um, felt that if Louise hadn't stared at her with those dark eyes as if she was trying to threaten her, she might have changed the trajectory of the day um, if she, you know, gave her opportunity to work. So let's jump back into the past and talk about um, after the vacation. So like I said, they were in Greece and now um, Louise returns to her uh, studio apartment. And here we learn that she was expelled from her home previously after her husband's death and found the place that she's living in now through um, some woman at the hospital. Um, The woman told her that the landlord would take um, cash payments and he wouldn't ask for a large security deposit. So uh, Louise is on hard times. Her husband has died. She's been evicted from the home because the home is being repossessed. And so Louise hates being in her own home. It's the weekend and she is at home literally thinking about ways she can contribute more to the Massey family. Uh, and we also learned that Louise, when she was at home with her husband, when he was alive, he never appreciated her and he always felt embarrassment about her. Well, she had felt embarrassment about herself, but she seemed to feel like people were offended by her looks, her size and her even her laughter. Mm. One day, Louise takes the children to the park and eventually the three of them fall asleep in the grass. And when Louise awakens, Mila is gone. Louise is frantic. She calls Mila as she runs screaming and people ask if she needs help. And Louise doesn't answer. Instead, she continues to search on her own until she feels completely hopeless. And then she spots Mila sitting on a bench with an older lady eating ice cream. And Louise asks Mila if she has gone mad. And the woman tells Louise that she herself is a disgrace um, for letting the child go off alone and threatens to tell on her. She said, I could ask this child for her mama's number and then tell on you. But Mila jumps up and goes and rushes into Louise's arms. And after uh, the lady sees this loving embrace, the woman tells Louise to be more careful next time. And as the woman leaves, Louise gives Mila a hug so tight it hurts like she cutting off her breath. And Louise tells Mila, don't you ever do this again and proceeds to tell her what could happen. Now, she's still holding her tight. Mila could barely breathe, but she is telling her, don't do this again. Bad things could happen to you. Before Louise could finish telling her what she think might happen to her, Mila bites Louise's shoulder, drawing blood. Louise screams and shoves the little girl. And that night, they don't tell Miriam anything. So now they share a secret, the fact that Louise lost Miriam. 
<clears throat> excuse me, lost Mila and Mila took a big chunk out of Mila's a cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> so one day Paul comes home. Another little incident. Paul comes home a little early um, and he comes home to Louise and Mila playing in Louise's makeup. Louise has put a full face of makeup on um, Mila and Paul is horrified. He said his daughter looks like a drag queen and he grabs Mila. And drag starts, queen. That's what he has said. And he's no, st- Paul is overreacting and a little insane, to be honest. Honestly, I'm like, what in the world? He is like, he starts wiping it off her face. My beautiful little girl is made ugly. She's so ugly. Don't you ever do this again. What? He's like, <laughs> This is a warning. And he's so disgusted by her behavior. But Louise doesn't lower her eyes. She doesn't apologize. She's like, even the baby, like, who would normally cry or notice that there was a confrontation and be distraught. He's just looking at his dad. The baby is looking at his dad judgmentally like, now, you know, you need to sit down. You don't even live here. Hardly. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even go here. Uh, So everyone is just looking at Paul and he's like, why is everyone looking at me? I feel judged. We have to fire Luis. (laughs) It's pretty outrageous. His reaction It's just so uncalled for. And not seriously wearing makeup. It's not toddlers and tiaras going on no, here. No, it's just this a little girl play. and the babysitter are playing in the babysitter's makeup or Miriam's makeup. <laughs> Miriam's makeup. Ah. No, 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 no. The babysitter's <laughs> Louise's makeup. Oh, it's your makeup. It's, it's Louise's makeup. Girl. Fine. I thought they had got a fistful of Fenty. No, and you just wasting <laughs> it. Then I'm gonna be mad. But you just playing in your in your makeup. That's your choice. Whatever. It's so Are you wild. taking the lipstick and putting it directly on the I mean, I don't get it. I don't get she's ugly because of the makeup, and so I wanna fire you. That's weird. It is I think it's weird. <laughs> but it might be very French because they don't wear makeup anyway. Mm. Okay. All right then. So maybe it's cultural. That's fine. So there you go. So <laughs> Miriam is giving Adam a bath. Now, um normally Louise does this bath time stuff, but Miriam's taking a turn and she notices these faded bite marks. And Louise tells uh, Mila, tells Miriam that Mila did it. And Miriam is like, wait, I've been asking her. And she was like, I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. Louise then shows Miriam her shoulder mark. Of the she bite. show her like she sees it. And she's like, wait a second. Those are the same bite marks that my cannibalistic daughter left on my son. She shows Does she her. bite you too? Yeah, she actually shows it to her. And so she don't show it to her. And Miriam is um, shocked because Mila didn't admit doing it. And Louise asked Miriam not to tell Mila um, because it would break their bond because Louise told Mila she wouldn't tell anybody that she did it. And Louise also tells Miriam that Mila's probably doing it because she's jealous of her brother. Miriam tells Louise that the family is going to the mountains to stay with Paul's parents for a week. And Kari, what is Louise's reaction? She starts to have, this is probably the beginning of her quick decline mentally Um, we are seeing how lonely she is and how she spends her days when the family is away. 
Uh, so she is distraught to say the least. Obviously, they she is not indispensable to them as she thought she was or mm-hmm. needed to be to avoid poverty and loneliness, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's reasonable. She don't want to be so broke she can't live and so lonely that she can't function. And then she proceeds to stay in the Massey home um, the entire week that they're gone and she has a friend over and a friend cooks her food. Um, But while the Masseys are gone, they do realize that um, that Louise is truly indispensable. But they decide also that it's time to let her go in the fall. Yeah, it's time to get a new babysitter. Or a different one. <sighs> um, yeah, just a different role for a nanny because the kids will be in school. Both of them mm-hmm. will be in school now. Sometime after the Massey's return from visiting the parents, they have they have to approach Louise because they received um, a letter directly to them about garnishing um, Louise's wages. And like... They embarrassed. She embarrassed. I mean, we all embarrassed because now you got your employer coming and it's like, what are you doing? You just blowing off letters they send it to you. They would only send it to us as a last resort. To me, this isn't right because they're not just um, they're embarrassed and angry that she is in debt. <laughs> Knowing <laughs> that they don't pay her well. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. You know you're getting a bargain with her. A and bargain. You, you now are like, what are you doing to be in debt? How are you in debt? And part of her reaction is true that her husband left her in debt. It ain't like she out here living it up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you can calm down your anger. They chastise her like a child. And they're like, we never want to receive a letter to our house like this again. What are you mad about? And Miriam. <laughs> she the one in debt. And I don't know. And Louise insists insists that it's uh, all a misunderstanding and she'll get it situated. And Miriam offers to assist with the misunderstanding, uh, help her fill out some documents, you know, whatever it takes. She wants to help her get cleared up with the government for this tax issue. And um, that evening, Miriam lingers waiting for Louise to leave. So like as she's getting the children ready for bed, Miriam is standing at the door like, okay, any day now you can go. So now she doesn't want to be in the same room with her. There's some embarrassment about how the conversation went on both sides. And now it's like a lot of animosity in the house. But Louise is like missing all of that because she like she really wants to stay, but she doesn't know how to ask. And so the next day she no calls, no shows um, to the Massey home and they like calling her house and she don't answer. Um, Miriam starts to blame Paul saying that he was too hard on Louise and Louise calls and tells them eventually calls hours later, tells them that she is sick, too sick to work. And Miriam feels bad that she didn't consider that as an option at all. Yeah. Their daughter got her sick. (laughs) And And the sickness from a kid is the worst sickness you will ever get in your life. (laughs) I, I, I suppose you've experienced that on numerous occasions. No, I've seen it though. Ooh, it's, it looked terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Miriam doesn't, excuse me, Louise doesn't work with the family for three days because she's at home sick. And while she's at home and during her sickness, she kind of looks in her notebook and 
and sees her note that the, she was at one point hospitalized for like a major depressive disorder. And then somewhere in the book, we learn that Louise was actually physically abusive to her own daughter. I mean, like really abusive. When Louise returns after her sickness, the children are like super happy to see her. Um, the stand in nanny was like really whack. They hated it <laughs> and they still see the need to have her have Louise, but they know they need to go because their relationship has certainly changed. Um, Miriam, one day Miriam comes, I think as she wakes up or that evening she comes home and she sees like this whole chicken frame um, on the table. It's all, all cleaned up and she knew she had threw that chicken frame in the garbage and so like why is it on the table and so she's talking to Mila and Mila's like yeah Louise, is, Louise showed us how to eat the whole thing like lick the bones suck off all the meat <laughs> which is it's like that's a life skill <laughs> it's like that's not the what? problem the problem <laughs> what's the problem <laughs> see she took the stuff out of the garbage and gave it to her children. That's the problem. The mom remembers explicitly throwing that carcass away, thinking, ugh. And to think her children were made to lick it dry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Clean. It's, it's too much. You digging yeah. in the trash now to feed my kids? Yeah. Is that not the final straw? I don't know. You would think so, but I think there's more. So listen, I'm going to just try <laughs> to get through this now. Um, somewhere in Louise's mind, she believes the way to stay in this home is to get the Mathe family to have another child. So she'd be trying to get them together so they can make a love connection, but that don't work. Louise is having problems of her own at home. Her landlord is threatening her with an eviction. Um, and there's an, an immediate decline that starts to happen. She starts letting them watch TV more. She stops telling them stories and she begins to spiral and starts to have violent thoughts about the children. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to end it here unless, car, you feel like there's something more we need to include. No, because the rest of it is at the beginning of the book. OK, and so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the verdict. Okay, sounds good. Welcome back. So, Kari, what is your final verdict? And would you recommend this book? I want to take this final verdict section seriously because I do feel this book was beautifully written. Uh, there are a lot of details and every scene is explained very well by the author. Um, but in the end, all of these visceral reactions that the scene produced for me went nowhere. And I was left with uh, ingredients, but no final dish. Uh, when I think about the way I felt about Miriam's decision to have a private dinner with her old schoolmate and how that should have led to some consequences or the way that uh, Miriam's mother-in-law treated her and the way Paul didn't defend her, that leads nowhere. Um, <laughs> Mila biting the babysitter and later biting her brother. 
in a way that is like a little beastie that led nowhere. Um, and then also Stephanie, what is the point of Stephanie, Luis's daughter? She adds nothing to this story and we never even meet her. No, we don't. <laughs> it really becomes about how um, Louise treated her in their but relationship. We do. There is a scene where Louise is physically fighting her daughter. Um, but not fighting. They're not fighting. She is beating her. She's beating her. Yeah. There's we no don't fight. even know who Stephanie's father is. <laughs> it's like, no. or how she like came about. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's so much to lead to nothing. Now the, the end of the book you get at the beginning. So by the actual, the literal end of the book, I didn't care about anyone. And I just, I thought they would pull it together in the final few pages and all of these pieces would tie together in some way. They did not. Um, and I found myself very unsatisfied by the end of this book. In fact, I looked up a few think pieces and reviews of the book just to see if I missed something and maybe something perhaps was lost in translation. But all I found was that it was translated brilliantly and what you got is what you got. <laughs> so you got what felt like an unfinished book to me. Um, and that's just inexcusable. I did not care for this book. And no, I would not recommend it. What about you? Uh, we agree. We agree. We agree. Though I, you know, <laughs> I love a good intro, just like anybody else. Oh, and how gripping is that intro? The baby is dead. What? What? Second, you're supposed to be the perfect nanny. Me in the book is called The Perfect Nanny, and it begins with the baby is dead. Yeah, that's gripping. Whoa! But just like Kyrie said, the whole book, I'm looking like, okay, what? So what's so where are we going with this? <laughs> it's the whole thing is like, where are we going with this? And so it it really drops off. And I'm like, why did I even read this book? So the person who left a comment on our Instagram page, you mentioned this, they recommended this book and they specifically said, Alexis would not like it. I do not like it. I do not like it. <laughs> I forgot about I that. Yeah, our readers I know do. us. Our I do not know. like this murder talk about a child. I, I didn't know this book was going to be about <laughs> murdering children. I didn't know that. Okay, I didn't. Even when I read it, I didn't think that was going to be like the opening pages of it. But Yes, it's true. I don't like this book. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I don't like it at all. And for all the very same reasons that Kari said, it's a it's a miss for me. But it is good writing. It's just so mis so too many miscellaneous characters like Wa Wafa. Uh, she got it. She get a boyfriend. I, 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 I started thinking that was a figment of her imagination. <laughs> nothing they did led to anything. Mm, 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 and these aren't characters that we spend a page with. We spend a while with, for example, Stephanie. We go to school with her. We have parent teacher conferences. We like sitting with Stephanie for what? <laughs> so, do you think this book should have been longer so that it included more? What are you thinking could have been done differently? I, I tried to think about that and 
I don't know. Put the murder at the end. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> opening, it. opening in the way it did. You know what you're in for. It is what it is. And it's very gripping. So I would say kudos to that. Sometimes sometimes an author has a very um, complete thought in their mind and they know how that how their work how they want their work to look when it's complete. And an editor might come along and say, well, what if you do this and this and this? Sometimes the author doesn't listen. Sometimes they do. And the end result just, it just doesn't work. For me, this book doesn't work. The It's like all the ingredients work. They're, they're all great, but you never made a dish. So I would, I would think an editor would come in and say, well, let's imagine. have this, this, and this lead to this. And then what are you trying to say with this work? I do think whenever you produce a novel, a work of nonfiction, you should be trying to say something. Okay, but do all nonfiction pieces need to? And this book doesn't owe me a message. This book doesn't owe me a message. Mm -hmm. It doesn't owe me a a finished um, compilation, a dish, like I keep saying. It It doesn't owe me a dish. It doesn't. I I wouldn't have read it if I knew it wasn't going to give me a dish. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wouldn't you wouldn't have read it. Mm-mm. Yeah, so it's a pass. It for felt me, like a waste sure. of time. It's very it little did. fires everywhere. It it, it <laughs> now I was kind of okay with little fires, but I totally got your thought on it. But this one right here, I was like, well, what is this about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like a throw the book in the air kind of thing. But I and had if you a book kill to babies, throw. You better have a good reason as far as the plot is concerned. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but yeah, you didn't. OK, that's that's it. We don't like the book. <laughs> well, thank you, Alexis, for choosing this one. You know, uh, it definitely got a reaction out of us, which is fun. That's the point of the show. That what are we reading point. next week? <laughs> the House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. Have you started this book? Absolutely not. Oh, OK, no worries. I just started it yesterday. OK, uh, so I'm very excited to get into that. And thank you all for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love we y'all love too. too. And leave a review and comment on Spotify as well. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, you guys, read read something. something.